All right, we are back. We have so much ground to cover. I want to start out by going to uh, the Sacramento News and Review. I want to talk about Cosmo Garvin's piece busting some of our local politicals and their shenanigans regarding this arena deal in our state capital. But before we get to that, I just want to grab an item out of the scorekeeper section composed by the SNNR staff for this brief item. This column is bagged on the San Francisco 49ers before for letting the best coach in professional football, Jim Harbaugh, leave. And we're going to bag on the red and gold some more because rumors of hiring former Raider head coach slash disaster Lane Kiffin just ain't right. Holy Kaepernicking, that's a bad move. But honestly, we believe in fair play and a difference of opinion here at Radio Parallax. So we do want to, again, give the 49er management, in this case team CEO Jed York, an opportunity to explain why it was that they left Jim Harbaugh go. Well, thank you, Mr. York. That certainly was very helpful. Now, we do talk about sports from time to time on this program. It's part of American life. It's part of our culture. There's a lot you can say about it. There's a lot you can say about sports that's wrong and needs to be changed. For that reason, we actually have a sports correspondent, Mr. Sean Mitten. Sean is always entertaining. We expect he'll be back in, you know, a month or two. We're keen to talk to him about some of these controversies in pro football and the fact that, you know, college football, I mean, why are these people pretending to be student athletes? They're really professional players hired by colleges and universities to generate huge sums of money for their respective schools, which I think explains why it is in something like half the states of the union, the highest paid public employee in the state is the football coach. But uh, we'll get to that in due time. Let's do a bunch of follow-up. According to NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, last year, 2014, was the hottest ever. Said astronomer and former Radio Parallax guest Phil Plate, it's official, 2014 was the hottest year on record. Of course, when we say on record, we're referring to 1880, which was the first time that the reliable records were accumulated. So none of this was a bit surprising because uh, 2014 did not feature El Nino, that sporadic warming phenomenon that tends to drive temperatures up. Said Phil Plate, so much for the pause, in quotes, in global warming. Deniers are going to deny. But the reality is that of the 10 warmest years on record, nine have taken place since 2000. It's not clear to any rational person that our continued reliance on fossil fuels is causing dangerous and irreparable damage to our planet. Of course, it isn't clear to everyone, because not everybody's rational. Robert Trzinski, writing in thefederalist.com, said, well, that's not clear at all. When climate scientists say that 2014 was the hottest year on record, they're talking about just 135 years of data, not the 6,000 years of human civilization. There's writing in motherjones.com, Kevin Drum said, don't fall for the climate denialists. They always use 1998 as their base year because it was an outlier, an unusually warm year adding, but anyone could fool the rubes with misleading charts. The full chart from 1880 to 2014 shows an unmistakable trend line of rising temperatures. Speaking of trend lines, the Bee published a thing, which I can't put my hands on right now, a few days back, showing public opinion in this area. And people's realization of what the hell is going on seems to be trending upward, even among Republicans. Of course, the article talked about what Congress is electing to do about it right now, and the answer to that was apparently not a whole lot. Something I couldn't put my hand on before, but now I can, was a piece uh, written to the Bee in the wake of a Dan Walters article some time back, where Walters talked about how, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's just going to be very costly to cut carbon, blah, blah, blah. 
Harold Ferber of Elk Grove wrote the B to say, Dan Walters notes that whether it's true or not that greenhouse gases cause climate change, quote, remains in the eyes of many an unsettled issue, unquote. Said Mr. Ferber, really? It's not unsettled in the mind of the vast majority of the climate scientists, up to 97% of whom believe the issue is settled. To which he added, you might also want to check with the major oil companies, the insurance industry, the reinsurance industry, and the U.S. military. Speaking about fossil fuels briefly, we should note that the experts are now questioning uh, what's going to happen with the Keystone Pipeline with falling oil prices, this incredibly expensive method of extracting oil from tar sands, which is very environmentally costly. Um, well, it may not pan out. It may not at least pencil out economically. And, you know, that might be good. We noted previously on this program that with the cheaper gas prices, idiots are out buying SUVs again. Playing off that, perhaps we have this from the Wall Street Journal. Dan Strumpf, writing in the Wall Street Journal, said American drivers may be rejoicing over the plunging price of oil, but uncertainty about how the collapse will affect the energy sector has Wall Street on edge. As the price of oil fell to $46 a bound this week, a level not seen since 2009 in recession, analysts said the ongoing drop could, quote, put a chill, unquote, on upcoming corporate earnings, particularly among energy companies. Oh, gosh, <laughs> that would be terrible. Now, yes, we all are part of an economy, and yes, we don't want to see an economy tanked, although it's kind of late for that since 2008. But apparently the people at the International Monetary Fund are feeling increasingly gloomy about our global economy. And, and uh, former Federal Reserve Chairman and nitwit Alan Greenspan has now said he sees the economy as being, quote, very sluggish, unquote. Well, hello! I get the impression a lot of these rosy forecasts that keep being thrown out are you know, put out there so that we will dutifully trot off to Edward Jones and Charles Schwab and keep investing in Wall Street and all the good work that it's doing around the world. Speaking of that, President Obama, remember him? Apparently his administration is now pushing for more offshore oil drilling. In fact, as part of a program to support this, apparently are taking many of the contestants for the Miss Universe contest and re-entering them in the new Miss Offshore Oil Drilling Rig competition. Actually, I made that last part up. But in the wake of that blowout down in the Gulf of Mexico where you're drilling for oil a mile down, doesn't this need a rethink? Of course, you know, the nice thing about the upside to falling oil prices, I suppose, is that uh, that sort of activity becomes less economically viable, which may just save all of our asses. Particularly if you're a fisherman down in Mississippi or Alabama and you're living by, you know, pulling things in out of the ocean. You like the things you pull out to not be flavored with petroleum. And in other technical news, how's that for a segue? Apparently the people at Google are, well, they're rethinking the Google Glass. Writing in Slate.com, Will Oremus said, Google Glass is finally dead. This week, Google suspended sales of the, quote, semi-functional and socially controversial, unquote, high-tech eyewear and all but admitted it was going back to the drawing board. Launched in 2013, Glass proved a public relations disaster from the start. The device was banned in bars, restaurants, and much of Las Vegas over privacy concerns, and early adopters were widely mocked as glass holes. Writing in dailyfinance.com, someone named Rick Aristotle Munaris, I just love that name, said, Some might argue that Google Glass was too far ahead of its time for its own good, but in truth, the specs were simply too creepy to catch on. No one wanted to sit next to a glass-wearing stranger wondering if his or her every move was being recorded or put up with a glass-bedecked dinner companion who might be secretly reading emails, even watching porn. 
And finally, at about $1,500 a pop, glass was far too expensive and odd-looking for a product that still had plenty of kinks. Radio Parallax confidently predicts that it will be back. And something we confidently predict will not go away in the immediate future is this so-called controversy over the Oscar nominations. Apparently, this go-round, as reported on this program and elsewhere, all 20 of the nominees this time around were neither Asian nor black or any other minority. Some folks are apparently quite worked up over this. We would point out that the Oscars are, and always have been, a method of selling more tickets to see movies. And yeah, it's not exactly news that the Academy is not really a meritocracy. Remember this, Citizen Kane, widely hailed as possibly one of the greatest movies ever, if not the greatest movie ever made, didn't win the Oscar that year. It's all politics. It actually lost to How Green Was My Valley. Fantastic movie. Well, it is considered a fantastic movie, but it's no Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane does not hold up. I did the disclaimer, right? Yes, because the opinion that Citizen Kane does not hold up definitely does not reflect the opinion of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the university. Now, I have to confess, here at Radio Parallax, we're inevitably much more interested in the Razzie Awards, which tend to take a much more, shall we say, irreverent and cynical view of the output from Hollywood. And if you're keeping score, this year's Golden Raspberry Awards um, show Transformers rolling out with the most nominations. It's reported that the action sequel starring Mark Wahlberg, alongside the morphing robots, led the Razzie lineup with seven nominations, including Worst Picture, Worst Sequel, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Screen Combo. Transformers Age of Extinction is also up for Worst Director for Michael Bay, Worst Supporting Actress for Nicola Peltz, and Worst Supporting Actor for Kelsey Grammer, who's also being recognized for his supporting roles in The Expendables 3, Legends of Oz, and Think Like a Man 2. If you're keeping score, and we hope you are, the, this year's other Worst Picture nominees are Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas, Left Behind, The Legend of Hercules, and Teenage Mutant Turtles. We will try and follow what's going on with both the Oscars and the Razzies. And although this is a radioactive topic, which I'm going to try and save for Sean Minton in the future, I do want to note that if you're going to base your assumptions of racism on a statistical analysis and you examine, say, the composition of the Seattle Seahawks, you will note that only about a dozen and a half of the team members out of something like 80, are not black. We take the position that that itself does not prove racism by the National Football League, which, it is frequently argued, is an actual meritocracy. And that's all we're going to say about that. Although that might not be exactly the right word, since it's not being run by the players, but anyway, close enough. Alex does not aspire to the high English language standards which are upheld by Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. For, after all, I'm not a professor of English. I'm just a country doctor, Jim. All right, something else from the miscellaneous file. There's a book out called The Sixth Extinction, An Unnatural History by Elizabeth Colbert. It's getting good reviews. It's a sobering book, well-written apparently, and um, Ms. Colbert, did very well talking to Terry Gross a few days ago, but, but, but did, I think, drop the ball on, on one question that was put to her, prompting us to go to bat for Miss Colbert. She was asked, well, if the Earth has survived five previous extinctions, 
you know, when life manages to go on, why should we be that concerned about a sixth extinction? And the somewhat flustered Colbert responded with, well, if people want to take that viewpoint, well, go for it. We at Radio Parallax would like to point out that we're certain that life on Earth will survive this sixth extinction. But it seems to us that the key factor is that human beings might not. I mean, yeah, cockroaches survived the last couple mass extinctions, and they're surely going to survive the one that we appear to be in the middle of. But uh, who wants to envision a world run by cockroaches? Of course, the odd thing about that is that, oddly enough, TV programming probably wouldn't change very much. Anyway, I don't want to beat this to death, but I do have an article in my right hand right now from the January 4th Sacramento Bee I just want to make one mention of, which is that up in Alaska, there apparently were no days in 2014, at least in Anchorage, where the temperature went below zero. And yes, this is the first time in recorded history where temperatures in Anchorage did not drop below zero at least once in a calendar year. In 2012, Anchorage had 32 such days, and the average is 29. Ooh. I do want to note that while we think of the tropical regions of the world as being most productive in terms of life and biomass, etc., that is true on land, but it ain't true in water. Tropical waters are notoriously sterile because there's no, well, how do you say, there's no mixing. The the hot layers stay on top, the cold layers stay on the bottom. It's in the colder regions of the earth where you see mixing and you see nutrients coming up from below and you see phytoplankton and thus an ecosystem thriving. If the world's oceans continue to warm up, we're screwed. And uh, I want to give yet another attaboy to our fellow hosts in the public affairs department here at this station. There's a lot of ferment going on and a lot of people that are tackling public affairs. I've not seen this much interest in this area, I think, since we came here 12 years ago. That is to be applauded. I do want to note that some of the hosts are struggling, learning that it's a difficult thing to put on a program that is coherent. A mistake or two has been made here or there, but you know, you learn more from your mistakes in life than you learn from anything else. And people are learning. They're getting better. Not to say that they weren't good to begin with. But, you know, it's a learning process. It's going on, and, you know, I'm glad to see it. I want to thank a couple of the hosts for their efforts so far. Uh, UC Radio on Tuesday afternoon was continuing to talk about the tuition issue, something we uh, have a common interest in. Yesterday's important info went over a Matt Taibbi piece in Rolling Stone, which I had not read, talking about the movie American Sniper. And while I suppose I should have read that piece in Rolling Stone, I want to thank the host for excerpting it for me. And I think we should address the issue of the controversy over that briefly. Evidently, Matt Taibbi describes how in Clint Eastwood's movie, the sniper in question watches the Twin Towers fall, which, of course, was an act perpetrated by Al-Qaeda, supported by various elements of the Saudi Arabian royal family. But in the movie, the next scene shows the sniper over in Iraq picking off Al-Qaeda. Now, except for the fact that this is completely historically inaccurate and, in a word, propaganda... It's turning out to be an enormously popular flick. And, and no, we don't like to read something in time by Richard Corliss, or at least see the excerpt of it in the week, noting that, quote, whatever may be said about the politics of American Sniper, Eastwood has honed his craft to its essentials, making it seem as if the story is telling itself. I don't know, I think we like a little better the comments by Cecilia Kang and Terrence McCoy writing in the Washington Post. They note that Chris Kyle, the protagonist in the story, was not an ordinary soldier. Before he was shot to death at a Texas gun range in 2013, he claimed he killed at least 150 people while working as a sniper in Iraq. He used conviction and charisma. He wore big boots. He spoke with a languid Texas drawl. He wrote a best-selling memoir. 
he made millions. Then there were the tales he told about himself, which came under increasing suspicion after numerous journalists tried and failed to corroborate them. Among them, Kyle once said he shot dead two armed Texas thugs who wanted to steal his truck. He said he traveled down to New Orleans and killed 30 bad guys in the chaos following Hurricane Katrina. And he also falsely claimed he punched out former Minnesota Governor Jesse the Body Ventura after Ventura, a former member of the U.S. Navy underwater demolition team, disparaged the Navy SEALs. And you know, we've been wanting to get Jesse Ventura on this program for some time, which reminds us that we should redouble our efforts. In spite of his tendency to play towards sensationalism, gee, what a surprise for a professional wrestler, Ventura has done some pretty good stuff. Anyway, apparently this travesty has been nominated for an Oscar. We'll see what happens. We need a break. Good Lord. Got anything peppy, Mr. McMillan? That'll do. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots more. Don't go away.